And at the end of my sermon, we are going to give away a major award for the Ugly Christmas Sweater Competition. And so I'll explain that in a little bit towards the end of my sermon. But we've been going through the movie Elf, right? And we've been talking about the truths found in the movie Elf. And as we go through the movie and talking about the truths, we come to a point in the movie where Buddy likes sugar. How many of you like sugar? Even you people that are eating healthy have to raise your hand, right? And I remember I had the opportunity to go to Haiti. And one of the things that they do in Haiti is they grow pure cane sugar in Haiti. And so what you do is you could actually, along the streets in the marketplace, you could buy pure cane sugar and just, they had little strips of it, and you could just sit and you would just chew on it. You would chew on it. And I'm going to tell you, it's like the best thing ever. Just walking around Haiti and giving, we went at Christmas time and we gave gifts to the children and we fed, we fed them and worked at a place where they feed them in a medical clinic and I, it was nothing better than handing out presents and chewing on cane sugar. I'm telling you, it was the most wonderful thing ever. We love, that's, so that's got to be healthy, right? If it's pure right off the cane, that's, that's healthy. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. All right. I have a health person down here that just went, yes, so I know it's cleared. And so it was great. It was wonderful. Well, in the movie here, Buddy is going to begin to eat some sugar. Let's watch. Oh, man. Sugar. It does amazing things, doesn't it? It's, some of you are like, oh, my gosh, they just showed him burping in church. It's okay. It's okay. Right? We all, Buddy loves sugar. Sugar makes everything better. We love, in our country, we don't just love sugar in our food. We love sugar everywhere. We like to candy coat things, don't we? We like to candy coat the truth a little bit. We like to candy coat the relationship a little bit. We want to just candy coat everything to make it more palatable. We want to candy coat things so that maybe we can just tolerate it, make it a little bit more tolerable. And so we'll put on the fake smile and we'll do all of the stuff to candy coat stuff so that we can make it more palpable. Don't we? We even candy coat Christmas. We candy coat Christmas with the lights and the warm fuzzies, and we candy coat Christmas with the ugly sweaters to make us laugh, and we kind of candy coat, and we try to make everything fun. In fact, when you pick up your children from Sunday school, what's the first thing you ask them? Did you have fun? We don't ask them to do learn about Jesus and what can you tell me about the Bible. The first thing we ask is, did you have fun? We want to candy coat every, ouch, that's an ouch, isn't it? We want to candy coat everything. In fact, we candy coat Christmas. Do we have some pictures? Give me a picture of a manger scene. Do we have a picture? We want to, there's the beautiful light shining down on Mary and Jesus. There's little cherubs. I'm concerned about these cherubs because they have adult faces. <laughs> is anybody else concerned about this? And there's, I don't know if this guy playing the flute is trying to summon a snake out of this 
I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, this guy over here looks like he's praying. The dog is actually sitting and obeying, so we know that that's not real. So we want a candy coat. We, we want a, this nice serene picture of the manger. Give me another. Do we have another picture? Yeah, look, they have halos. That's special. And sticks, and, 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 and this angel over here is playing with a bird. I guess it's another creature that has wings. And so they're just doing, you know, and the light and just candy coat. And, and I still don't understand the wise men bringing the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. The Christmas song, he's cold, so let's bring him from gold, frankincense. The baby is cold and starving, and he's soon to be a fugitive, right? That's, that's, that's not... And if you read your Bible, the wise men says that when the wise men showed up, they knocked on the door and Mary answered the door. They didn't show up at the manger. It wasn't the manger that they showed up at. And wise men travel in caravans. Why? Because they are, they are the consultants to the king. They are the wise men for the king. So what do they get? Well, they get an entourage. They get military protection. They get... And so when wise men show up, it's not just three wise men and some camels. Each wise man would have about 100 people with him to protect him. So if you have three show up, you've got about 300 people, military, chefs, showing up at your door. And if the wise men come in with their entourage of military, but they're not from the Roman Empire... They have to get permission to pass through the other country to see this new king. Why do you think they were meeting with Herod? They were getting permission to go see the baby. They had to get permission to bring in their military people into the country. Otherwise, it was an act of war. And so once they got permission from Herod to go see the baby, knocking at the door, Mary opens the door. And guess what? There's an entourage of 300 people standing at the door going, where's the Messiah? <laughs> right? We want to keep, but, but, but it looks so nice if everybody just shows up. Give me another picture. One last picture. Do we have one last picture of a manger? Oh, that's so nice. Isn't that so pretty? We want to candy coat things and make it look, do you know shepherds stunk? I'm just going to say, they didn't bathe. Now, the shepherds didn't bathe. They hung out with the sheep all the time. They were society's rejects. Nobody wanted to be around a shepherd. And yet, they're the first ones that God declared that the Messiah was here. God intentionally picked the rejects, the ones that stunk, the ones nobody wanted to be around, to show up in a cave with the Savior of the world lying in a food trough who would, in just a matter of a few hours or days, become a fugitive. And so we love, and please, I'm not trying to destroy your image of, of Christmas and the manger scene, but it's really, if you read scripture, it's not pretty. Joseph is upset with Mary. He wants to divorce her because he thinks she cheated on him. It's not pretty. And yet the Bible says that Jesus is this, no, that's not the baby. This child is the prince of peace. 
He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring peace. In Luke chapter 2, verses 34 through 35, we find a scene after Jesus is born. Mary and Joseph take him to the temple. And the chief priest of the temple, the lead pastor, the the head pastor of the church, takes Jesus in his arms and he says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The head pastor takes Jesus in his arms, the the temple priest takes Jesus in his arms, and he says, this child is going to cause many to rise, and he's going to cause many to fall. He will be spoken against. People will not like your child. Merry Christmas. Uh, How many moms want to hear that from their pastor, right? Imagine on baby dedication Sunday that I came up here and took the baby and said, nobody's going to like your kid, but here you go. Uh, nobody wants to hear that, right? So Simeon kind of cuts through the sugar and says, hmm, your child's not going to be well spoken of. And then he says something else. He says, oh, and mom, you're going to have your own heart pierced, not literally, but figuratively, in an analogy, a sword's going to pierce your own heart too. And as Jesus hung on the cross for the salvation of mankind, Who were the only two people left? Mary, his mom, and John, the disciple. And Jesus looked down from the cross and said, John, take care of my mom. Everybody else had fled. Nobody else wanted to be caught with this Jesus. And so Simeon says, Mary, this guy is going to be a dividing rod. This guy is going to be a lightning rod. Rod. Jesus is going to have a lightning rod effect on society. And if you read the New Testament, Jesus is one of those characters where you kind of, you either like Jesus or you don't. I can only think of, as I was thinking through this, I can only think of one person that was okay with Jesus. It was the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I've not hurt anybody and and I've done my best not to lie and and I've been good. I've been a good person. What do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus goes, because Jesus saw his heart, he said, take all of your wealth, because this guy was extremely wealthy. He says, take all your wealth and get rid of it and give it to the poor. Then you can get into heaven. Now, he's not, Jesus isn't telling all rich people you have to get rid of your wealth. He's speaking directly to this individual. And he's saying, for you, what's got your heart is your money. You need to get rid of it. And the Bible says he went away sad. He came to Jesus like, okay, I'm okay with Jesus. Let's see what he's got to say. Mm, You need to get rid of your wealth, specifically you, not everybody who's rich, but you need to get rid of your wealth because it's going to keep you out of heaven. And it says, oh, he kind of just went away. Like, that's the only guy I can think of that was okay with Jesus. The rest of them either really liked him or really didn't. Jesus has a lightning rod effect on people. In Luke chapter 12, verse 49 through 53, listen to the words of Jesus. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. What's he talking about? He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, I have this baptism to undergo, 
and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Some translations say what stress I am under. My nerves are shot, some translations read. He says, I am nervous, I, I, am, I am stressed until I complete what I've come here to do. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What's he saying? He's saying there are going to be family members that want to follow me and accept my work of salvation in their life, and then there's going to be another family member that doesn't want any part of me, and you're going to have two people living under the same roof, and one person wants to go to church and be a part of this Jesus thing, and one doesn't. He goes, and I'm going to create division in a house. It's going to happen. There's going to be issues in families because some people want to follow me, and other members in the same household don't want to. I'm going to be a lightning rod effect. And so he's just telling his followers, be prepared. It's coming. This is going to happen in your family. He said, I came came to establish a kingdom, and some people are going to be on board with it, and other people just aren't. And that's going to create division in families. Jesus wasn't sugarcoating his mission Some people will choose to believe in him, some won't, and unfortunately what's going to happen is that's going to cause a divide, sometimes in families. He said it with his own mouth. And Jesus inherently, when you come to set up a kingdom kingdom, and you come to get people to make a decision either for or against you, what's that force them to do? That forces them to have to make a decision. We don't like making decisions. But Jesus goes, you have to make a decision. It's either me or it's not me. And here's what I can tell you. No decision, no victory. Deciding not to follow Christ means no victory at the end of your life. Now, when we call Jesus the Prince of Peace and say Jesus is peace and he's come to bring peace, then what does that mean? Because he just said... Because of him, families are going to be divided. So what does that mean? Well, we have to kind of take a step back. We have two different views of peace. There's two different views of peace. We have the world's view that says, in the world's view, peace simply means there is no harm going on and everybody's getting along. And there's no violence. And there's no arguing, and there's just peace. But then there's the biblical view of peace. See, the the world's view is absence of conflict. But the biblical view of peace, true biblical peace, is confident assurance in any circumstance. Confident assurance. I don't care that there is a war raging. I don't care that there is chaos right now in my family. I've got assurance. I've got a confident assurance that God is looking out for me, and it's all going to be okay. That's the biblical view of peace. Not the world's view, the biblical world of peace. It's like the the old hymn, right? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Blessed 
assurance, right? A confident assurance that I'm blessed no matter what happens in my life. If my house burns down, if, if my dog dies, if whatever happens, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of the peace that I have amidst all the chaos is just a foretaste of glory. It's just a foretaste of heaven, and it's in my heart. And I don't, it doesn't matter what happens. I have peace and rest. In Luke, remember what the angels told the shepherds, you know, the, the society's outcasts that had to live with sheep, smell like sheep, didn't get a chance to really bathe. They stunk. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. Do you remember what the angels told them on that night that Jesus was born in Luke 2.14? Here's what they sang. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to who? Peace on the ones that have favor with God. They didn't say peace to the whole world. They said peace to those that follow Christ, that have found his favor. Because they'll understand biblical peace that no matter what rages around me, I have this confident assurance that Jesus came for me as the affection of his love. Look what Paul says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. What's he talking about being justified through faith? That's saving faith. That's salvation saying, Jesus, I believe in the work that you did for me. I accept that and I'm going to begin to put my life into that. Now, because I believe in Jesus and I believe in scripture, I'm justified with God. There is justice now because I've accepted the penalty of my sin. I've accepted that Jesus died as a result of me. My desire to lie, my desire to be rude to people, my desire to be mean to people, that cost Jesus, the Son of God, that cost him his life. And so because, God, I believe in that, I also believe that that was the penalty for me. I accept that. And Paul tells the church in Rome, he says, now, because of your faith, you're justified with God. Everything is justified. You are now a child of God. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason we can have peace and celebrate Christmas is because Jesus took the brunt of everything that we deserve to get. Now we can celebrate, and we can have ugly sweater Sunday, and we can have, you know, Give away beef and cheese like we did last week. We gave away a basket of beef and cheese, right? We can have fun and enjoy because we have peace that no matter what's going on in the world around us, Jesus came. And he saved us. And by our faith, we are justified so that when you and I, who have accepted Christ, die and we have to stand before God, we don't have to try to justify why we should get into heaven. That conversation will never happen for anybody. That's why you have right now. So that when you stand before God, when you die, you know what happens? Why should I let you in, right, if he asked that? But we don't have any evidence that he actually truly asked that. But let's go with it, right, because that's what we tend to believe. Why should I let you in? Well, I gave to the Salvation Army, and I gave. And all of a sudden, those who don't know Jesus will start trying to justify. And what they're doing is really, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. And that will only, the Bible says, that will only condemn you worse. But those that follow Jesus say, I, I don't deserve to be here. Jesus did it. And I've 
believe that with all my heart. Thank you for sending Jesus because it was never about me. God goes, all right, come on in. That's the difference between those that follow Christ and those that don't. It's not, Christmas is not about Jesus coming to give us warm fuzzies and peace so that we'll never experience bad things. Christmas is that Jesus invaded a cursed planet to bring freedom to the object of God's affection. The object of God's affection is you and 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 you. And I could go, you are the object of God's affection. He goes, I want them to experience my peace and my love and I want to be with them forever. Jesus, you're gonna have to go clean up the mess spiritually. Go clean it up. Jesus steps down and he cleans up the mess. And now he says, okay, now all you gotta do is believe and begin to put your faith and hope in me and begin to follow me. That's it. Jesus came to display his dominance over sin. He came to display his dominance over death. And he came to display his dominance over hell. He goes, I control this show. Watch. I will go down to hell and beat Satan myself. I will defeat death on planet earth. I will defeat sin. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted. Jesus himself was tempted in the same way that you and I are tempted. It says that he was a man of, he, he, he had temptations like you and I did. He just did not yield to them and sought strength from his father. The amazing thing is that baby Jesus came into this world and he said, I will suffer with you. I will have to learn how to walk. I'm not being sacrilegious, but listen, I will mess my pants like you, right? It's, it's a baby. He's a baby. I will cry in the middle of the night and wake up my mom. I will, I will not only have to learn to walk, I will have to learn how to use utensils. Think about this. He came down not just to do all the stuff that children have to learn and do. And he had to, he, by, the age of, by the age of seven, he had to have the, the, the entire Torah or the first five books of the Bible memorized by the age of seven. That's, that's some of you are just suffering just thinking about that. By the age seven, the first five books of the Bible memorized. That was part of their education system. That he came down and he suffered and brought peace. You know, there's a great story of, of peace in the midst of suffering. On December 7th, 1914, the Pope declared that there should be peace and the war should stop. But the warring parties, the Axis and the Allies, didn't want to stop. But something happened on Christmas Eve. The Germans began to sing Christmas carols from their trenches. The British and the Allies begin to hear the Christmas carols and the cease of gunfire. The British and the Allies put down their guns and from their trench began to sing. And then the Germans not only sang, but suddenly, in the middle of the night, the British hear 
a brass band coming from the other trench, joining with the Germans as they carol and sing. The generals told him to keep fighting. The grunts in the trenches said, no, it's time for peace. What happened? Well, they eventually went to sleep. Christmas morning came. The Germans put down their weapons and began to walk across no man's land towards the English. Well, the English first thought, okay, this is a trick. Be ready. But then they realized, wait a minute, the Germans aren't armed. And the two sides met in no man's land. And they began to share gifts with each other on Christmas morning. Some of the men even started a recreational game of soccer with Germans and Britons on the same teams playing soccer against one another. And I want to read you the words of the general. The German general, he said, he said this, German, I'm sorry, German Lieutenant Kurt, I'm going to mess this up, Kurt Zimmisch, he says this, how marvelous, marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. And the day after Christmas, they spent Christmas Day playing with one another, exchanging gifts, sharing stories, cleaning bodies off, cleaning bodies out of the no man's land. And they spent that day loving one another. The day after Christmas, they went back at it. They got back in their trenches, started fighting and firing at one another. But for a moment, there was peace in the chaos. Christmas of 1914, World War I. That's what Jesus comes to bring to all of us in our life, peace and chaos. Not the absence of conflict, but peace in the middle of chaos. You know, one of the things with the movie, as we wrap this up, with Buddy the Elf, you know, in the movie, when Will Ferrell is acting and he's eating all of this sugar, you can read this. He came down with migraines, vomiting. In fact, the one scene where he's sitting in the kitchen pouring syrup on spaghetti and then crumbling up Pop-Tarts and everything else on the spaghetti, he had to force himself to do that. The lights were almost too blinding for him to even be in front of the camera. He was that sick from eating all of the sugar. He forced himself in that scene. Here's what I want to tell you, that when we candy coat stuff, it will eventually make us sick. It's good for a time. It tastes good for a while. You digest enough candy-coated Christmases, you will lose sight of what it really means. And that is not why Christ came. Christ came for us to make a decision to follow him or not. Last passage this morning, Paul tells the church at Philippi, he says this, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, who being in very nature God, did not consider himself, or did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Our attitude should mimic Jesus, that God loves me, I'm come to bring peace to the world and to love everybody and to share Christ with them. We all have a decision to make. I can either be like Jesus and choose to follow and do what the Heavenly Father asked me to do or I can do what I want to do. That's why Jesus came at Christmas. So my question to you today is, with this Christmas, who do you follow? Do you follow yourself? And do you define peace as absence of conflict? Or do, you, or do you define peace as confident assurance in the middle of conflict knowing I'm okay because I'm okay with the Heavenly Father? How do you define that for yourself this morning? In closing, I want to read this from Timothy Keller, pastor in New York. He says this. Christmas means Jesus came down and got involved in suffering. That's what Christmas is. Jesus came down and got involved in our suffering. Let's stand up. We're going to lighten the mood in just a minute with our ugly sweater competition. But before we do that, I'm going to I'm going to ask if Aaron and Lori would come down on this side and if Steve and Bonnie would come down on this side. And we want to pray with you. Maybe, maybe this is a difficult time of year for you. Let us pray with you to encourage you. If you're here this morning, and maybe you've never truly decided to follow <laughs> Jesus. We want to pray with you. We want you to accept Christ so that when your time comes, maybe, maybe your time comes in the next 24 hours, maybe your time comes 50 years from now. When you stand before God, it's, it's all him. It's all about Jesus. It was never about me. I want you to be able to say that and not try to stand up there and defend yourself. So I want to invite you to come forward this morning for prayer as we, as we close out in song. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you invaded our space and chose to suffer with us. And Lord, if we're truly honest, you suffered more than any human being ever because you knew the glory of heaven. You knew the peace of heaven, the love of heaven. You knew the perfection of heaven, but you walked away from it and stepped into earth to suffer with us. Lord, you understood beauty in all of its forms. But you came down as a baby, as a vulnerable, delicate baby. You chose to save us. And Father, let us not sugarcoat or placate that or cover that over because that is Christmas. Lord, the rest, is the rest of the things are just symbols that should point us towards you. 
And Lord, we praise you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. amen.